following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Awesome. Well, I am excited to share with you a talk this morning, and my name, like Allison said, my name is Josh. I'm a pastor here at Canyon Ridge, and before I do anything, I want to first just honor our veterans. So if you are a veteran or active military, would you please stand up, or reserved, one of those, um, one of those, those categories, would you please stand up? Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your family's service, because I know the family sacrifices as well. So thank you for all that you do to fight for our country and to keep us a free country. And we just really, really appreciate you. We don't thank you enough. So I just want to offer that. So thank you, veterans. Um, And I was going to save the applause for the end, but apparently you guys already got it. So, (laughs) Um, But this is a special Sunday also because... We are doing something else. We are, are honoring our orphans. We're talking about our orphans. This is Orphan Sunday. And um, so there are over 400,000 orphans in the United States today and over 10,000 orphans in our state. We don't call them orphans. We call them their foster children uh, in our country. And over 2,100 are waiting for adoption, which sounds like a lot, but there are far more Christians than there are foster children And I believe that the church is God's plan A to take care of foster children. And we have, to learn a little bit more about this, we have um, one of our own, Blair, who is going to come up and talk to us. And Blair works for Olive Crest, and she helps families as they journey through the the foster care system. And so Blair is going to help us learn a little bit more about foster children and that and the uh, foster care system. So thank you, Blair, for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So how did you first become passionate and involved in the foster care system? Yeah. So I would say that I didn't know anything about foster care um, until I was in my early 20s. I was in grad school and uh, really needed to do something for my internship and obviously the Lord, but somehow ended up volunteering, working with a foster care program locally. And I would say almost immediately, I think, spiritually it wrecked me because I had been in the church at that time for probably seven or eight years, and I had never once heard about foster care, heard about the needs of taking care of the vulnerable and the needy within our own communities. And so as I got to know these kids and know their families um, and really studying scripture more, I think that for me was probably like the turning point in my spiritual life for wanting and seeking out more. Yeah, that's good. Um, and just so we're kind of getting to know, what do you see as the needs for children in the foster care system as well as for the families? There are a lot. Um, I would say it, sort of we could recognize this. The biggest need for foster children is families. It's foster homes. And um, you mentioned that there's almost 10,000 foster kids in Washington State, we have over 1,500 just in Pierce County alone. And if you look at the number of licensed foster homes, it has significantly decreased. So in order to even just meet the need for kids in Washington, we would need 1,600 more homes. 
And so what that tells us is that kids are spending nights not sleeping in beds in homes, but they're spending nights in hotels with social workers because they've got no place to go. They're being shipped across states because we don't have beds here to take care of them. Wow. Um, and I would say on the flip side of that, when it comes to families that, that take these kids in, they need support. It's hard, it's hard work because really the goal of foster care is for kids to be in families for a time and then for them to return home to their yeah. parents. Yeah. And so there's a lot of emotion that goes along with that. Anybody who's done foster care knows that. And so to have the emotional support around them, and I would say also the tangible support, because yeah. kids take a lot of work. <laughs> and so to have people wrap around to provide meals, to provide childcare, clothes. We've had kids come into our home that literally came with the clothes that were on their back and nothing else. And yeah. so that we, um, we're so blessed to have people around us that were willing to, to sacrifice what they had to give, which was their time and their money, and bring clothes and food to yeah. us. That's good. What, you know, what, what causes this to happen? What causes kids to go into the, the foster care system? Just what, what are some of the top causes? Yeah, so the number one cause for kids to come into foster care in our state is neglect, mm. um, which can mean a variety of things. Um, abuse, uh, drug addiction, domestic violence, um, but sexual abuse is, is in there as well. Um, so it could be it could be a variety of things, and typically it's not just one of those things. Most kids that are coming into the system have dealt with a number of those factors yeah. in their in their homes. Wow! And so so you get a chance to help kind of facilitate that process a little bit. And so what makes for a great match between a family and and a child? Um, I would say that the number one thing it really doesn't this may be my personal opinion, it doesn't really have a lot to do with the child. It really has to do with the family, yeah. um, with the parent, and sort of what they feel called to um, and what they're willing to sacrifice. Yeah. Because um, parenting kids who've experienced trauma, whether it's kids who are in foster care or kids who've experienced any sort of other trauma, um, without going into too much detail, it really can change the, the chemical makeup of your brain and change the physical structure of your brain. And so parenting kids who have gone through this is different than parenting kids who have grown up in a quote unquote normal household. Yeah. And so it's learning how to parent differently. It's being um, consistent. It's providing a lot of grace yeah. while also providing a lot of structure. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that couples, individuals who are open to doing this need to know that one, it's what the Lord has called us to do and that there, there is a purpose behind it, but it's going to be hard and it's going to take a lot of sacrifice on your part in order to change some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I think with that, it's, it's just good to know that, you know, God has, has been with you and he's helped you through that and he's worked through you to help families with that. So can I, can I pray for you? Yeah, I'd love to. God, thanks for Blair. Thanks for her passion to be with families and to help with this issue that is so near and dear to your heart, God. God, thank you that you have called some people and you've touched some people. And there's some people in our congregation that have taken up the challenge of, of fostering children. But God, I pray that um, as, as people are hearing this, Lord, that, that maybe you're touching their heart and maybe they're praying about it. And God, maybe you're opening up their heart for them to take in a child. Maybe for others, Lord, it's not taking in a child, but maybe it's supporting a foster family or coming around them or just being a friend to somebody that's fostering a child. So God, I pray that whatever 
you would want to do, Lord, that that, that would happen and that you touch and transform people, people's hearts to make that happen. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Blair. I really appreciate it. Um, if you guys are interested in learning about more, then Blair will be out in the lobby and she'll be happy to talk with you about it. So um, that's, that's exciting. Well, you know, some of you might be hearing about foster children and it's, it's touching you, but you're saying, man, I don't have time for that or I don't, you know, just, that, that's, that's not me. And for most of you, maybe that's, that's true. Maybe fostering children isn't, isn't kind of in your, your time and maybe that's not the right thing for you. But there might be a few of you out there that God is, is, is working on your heart and calling you to be a part of, of fostering children. And, and so I just ask you simply to pray about that. And so what I want to talk to you about today is really to talk about, hey, sometimes it's the position of our hearts. Sometimes it's the circumstances that need to change. Like, hey, we need more money or we, need, we have like five kids in our house already. And so, you know, so maybe it's the circumstances. But I would say sometimes, and I would say maybe more often than not, it's really the position of our heart that needs to change around these things for, for God to be able to work into it. And so when I was thinking about scripture to talk about, about this about for, on Orphan Sunday, of course, James 127 came into mind. And James 127 reads, religion that God our Father accepts as, as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is, I think, a really great scripture. I'm almost falling over here. Uh, <laughs> a really great scripture for this. And so I was thinking about, okay, how am I going to talk about this? What am I going to do? And so I was thinking of, of doing this. I'm not going to do it, so I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. But my question would have been, um, hey, who in here is saved? Right? And so I was going to ask people to raise your hands, but don't raise your hands because if you raise your hands, somebody next to you that might not know Jesus might feel like they have to raise their hands and they might feel like it's membership services for those in the club and they're not in the club. And we don't want this church to be a church for those in the club. We want this church to be more like a rescue mission throwing out a lifeline called Jesus to people that are lost and hurting. And so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I bet if I ask the question in here, Hey, how many people are saved? I bet you most of the hands in the room would go up. Most of the hands in the room would go up. And then if I asked how many people live this pure and faultless religion that James 1 describes, I bet that not as many hands would go up, especially if you're sitting next to someone that knows you. And, <laughs> and not as many hands, maybe you'd get kind of like the, the half hand thing, right? Or something, I don't know. Um, but, you know, there wouldn't be as, as many hands that would go up, right? So why, why would that happen? I think if we all agree, you know, there would be a lot of hands going up for those who are saved, and then those who are living this kind of pure and faultless religion that James described, not as many hands. Like, what's going on there? Why, why does this happen? And so I want to talk about that today. Why, when we, we make the decision to follow Jesus, don't our hearts change to do the things that Jesus has called us to do? Why do we, when we make the decision to accept and follow Jesus, that we don't always live out everything that he's wanted us to do? And, and James talks about true religion. And religion is, we want to live this true religion. Religion is, I would, I would say, it's the external acts 
of human beings that we do to worship and to know God. That's what religion is. It's the external things that we do to know and, and worship God. And, and we, a lot of times, see, this isn't a word I'd, I'd like to use, religion, because religion really has a bad rap in our society. You know, there's those bumper stickers out there that say, Jesus, save me from your followers. And a lot of people are, people are still claiming to be spiritual, but people are claiming less and less to be a part of organized religion because people have been hurt by organized religion. And so people, like, they say, yes, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, and I don't want to go to church. But religion is not God. But unfortunately, a lot of people that have been hurt by the church want to leave the church because they don't want to be a part of something where they were hurt. And so uh, religion can be a bad thing. It can be a bad thing. You know, Jesus, when he was, on, when he was walking here on this earth, most of his criticism was for religious people. It was directed at religious people. It was directed at, at the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees, they were a group that were kind of like the religious police of the day. They, they wanted to follow the law, and they wanted Israel to follow the laws. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. There's, of course, the, the 10 laws we all know, the 10 commandments. And so the, they, didn't, they wanted everybody to follow that because they know when Israel followed the law, then everything went well. When Israel didn't follow the law, then there was a curse on Israel. So they wanted everybody to follow the law so that they could prosper as a people. And so they would go around making sure that everybody followed the law and they would kind of give people the evil eye or the stink eye if they didn't and try to make them follow the law. And there was actually, they were part of the politics of that day. So all that is to say, so they took laws and they tried to define them and apply them so that people would follow them. Follow them. And so they took something like, like one of the, the laws on the Ten Commandments is to honor the Sabbath and to not work on the Sabbath. And so they said, okay, well, what does it mean to work? Well, to work is to plow. So you can't plow on the Sabbath. And there's a whole bunch of other things that are work, but, but plow was one of them. And so they said, okay, well, what does it mean to plow now? Well, to plow means to move dirt. So whenever you move dirt, you're plowing. And if you're plowing, you're working. And if you're working, you're not following the law. Well, this got down to such minutia, to describing things in detail so much that they said moving your chair is plowing because you might move some dirt if you move your chair. So there'd be like a Pharisee and a a guy would be moving his chair and he'd be like, what are you doing? And the guy's like, "I'm, I'm just moving my chair. And he's like, blasphemer, you're, you're not following God. And the, the guy's like, I'm, I'm just moving my chair. And the Pharisee's like, looks a lot like plowing to me. And, and so that guy, so they got things down to that point. That was, those were the religious people of the day. And, and when we face people like that, you know, it's, it's hard to be around religious people who are, who are like that. But yet I would submit to you that often we are religious at times as well. There are ways that we behave in the modern day that are very religious like that too. For instance, um, sometime, for some of us, it's, it's about our ego. And, and we believe that we do such great things everywhere else. And then we take that mindset to church and, and we say, okay, I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to do all the things that Jesus says. Because we believe, you know, they say, like Romans says, that no one is righteous. And rather than 
taking that at face value, we take that as a challenge. Well, every, nobody else could do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to be righteous. And I believe Jesus would say to a person like that, he would say in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what is the will of God? Jesus is going to tell us what it's not. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? So he's saying it's not prophesying, it's not driving out demons, it's not performing miracles. But what is it? He'll tell us now. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. You see, doing the will of God is not about doing a bunch of great things, but doing the will of God is about knowing Jesus first and foremost. It's about getting our hearts closer to this person called Jesus Christ that is the foundation to our faith. And I want to say something too. There was a a prominent preacher who just recently said, which was really, really shocking to me. He said that the Bible is not the foundation of our faith. Um, and this is, this is a guy who's kind of like a leader in the evangelical circles. And I just want to go on record saying that the Bible is the foundation of our faith. And if I ever preach anything here that is not of the Bible, I'm giving you permission to hold me accountable because we are a church that is founded on the word of God. And we want to follow the word of God, not because it's the law, but because it's the spirit that gives us life. And so Again, that's a rabbit trail, but I just wanted to say that. Um, so we want to follow the word of God. Um, for other people, it's not our ego. It's our, it's, it's our education. You know, it is about everything that we know, and we want to know all the right things and know what, what God wants us to know and know all these facts and figures. And so we're, we, we think about the circles in Ezekiel and how all the circles and what they might mean or all the different uh, metaphors in Revelation and what those things might mean. And all those things are great, but, but those things, again, are not, uh, that's not what religion's all about. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You see, this might sound contradictory to my last thing. I just said, well, it's not about what you do. It's about knowing Jesus. And now I'm saying it's not about what you know. It's about what you do. But here's the thing. When, when you know Jesus and when you get closer to Jesus, then that begins to change your heart. And now what I'm doing is not what I'm doing to try to win the approval of God or win the approval of people or win the approval of, 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 of even of myself, thinking that I'm good enough. Now what I'm doing is I'm beginning to walk out of who I am in Jesus. That's why James says that going away, listening to the word of God and not doing it is like going away and forgetting what you look like. Because when I know who I am by looking in the mirror and not seeing my reflection, but seeing the reflection of Jesus, and that I'm walking out of that identity, then what I do now is no longer it's because of what you think, or it's no longer because of what of even trying to win the approval of, of God, knowing that I've already received it in Jesus Christ. Now I can walk out, and I can walk in what God's unique purpose for me and who he's called me to be and not trying to walk out and of any external things but walking out of my heart that's been transformed by the power 
of Jesus Christ. That's the difference that happens. And so religion is not about ego. It's not about education. But religion is also not about escape. A lot of times we think about church as, as kind of a holy huddle. That we get to escape out of the world. And, and we want that to move away because we want to come to our little thing. On our little thing in the world. But Jesus, when, when, he, when he was looking at people and when he called his church... Church in the New Testament is ecclesia. Ecclesia literally means sent ones. It means ones that are sent into the world to make a difference. That we are called to be, by nature, a missional organization. That we are the sent ones of Jesus. The ones to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ into the world. That's who we're called to be. But I think sometimes we can, in in the process of going to church, we get saved you know, and then we, we come to church, and we find the church that's right for us, and it becomes comfortable. And it's comfortable here at church, and it's, it's a great thing, and, and it's good to be comfortable in church. But we can let that comfort turn into complacency. And, and that complacency then begins to, to change and work on our heart. And so we say, oh, I like the worship, or, or I didn't like the worship today, as if that was, was what was really important um, how, did you, how did you like your worship? Did you like your worship today? Was your heart right before God? Did you make sure that you brought a right heart that was transformed by Jesus today? Because you can worship wherever. I don't care how bad the worship is. If you're on fire for Jesus Christ, you are going to worship God. And so we're not called to escape the world. And then we can get complacent, and then the complacency can become control. And we want to control what it is because this is our thing and this is our church and I really like it here. I really like what's happening and I don't want things to change, but, but that's not who Jesus created us to be. By nature, we are his ecclesia, his called out, his sent out ones gone to go out into the world. And so while, while the church is trying to stay in church, Jesus is trying to get us out into the world to make a difference, to be a part of of helping foster children, to be a part of looking after widows. But so often we look at his invitation as inhibition. There was a story of, of the rich young ruler, and there's this guy who you know, has been following all the Ten Commandments. He goes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns and he tells him, he says, you know, he lists off some of the Ten Commandments. You, you know the commandments, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't do all these things that are bad. And the man says, uh, I've kept all those things. And, and Jesus then in, in John, uh, or sorry, in Mark 10, 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. See, this man received one of the greatest invitations of all time. Jesus didn't usually say the words, follow me, to anybody. In fact, there were people that he healed that then uh, wanted to follow Jesus, but Jesus said, no, go back to your town, go to the temple. But there were very few times that Jesus uttered the words, follow me. And when he uttered those words, usually it was two people that he was calling to be his disciples, his apostles. And you think about it, Jesus was the one that changed the world more than anybody else. 
Jesus changed is the greatest. I mean, he has cut history in two from, from, from B.C. to A.D. But yet after Jesus, some of the people that have changed the world the most are Peter, James, Paul, all the other apostles, all the people that have followed Jesus. And they received Jesus' words, follow me. This man received those words. We don't even know his name. But he received the words to follow Jesus because he had great wealth and he couldn't give up his earthly possessions. Now, earthly possessions, money is not bad. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. But it says the love of money is the root of all evil. That it's when we get our heart wrapped around the things of this world that we lose sight of the great invitation that Jesus has offered us and we look at it as an inhibition like the rich young ruler did. Oh, here's all the things you can't do. You can't have money. You can't have some of the things that you've worked in your house to build. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying there's something greater I'm trying to call you to. And the Bible says that the definition of the world, the thing that tries to seduce us away from God, the biblical definition of the world is, is the whole circle of earthly goods, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which just seduce us away from God. They're, the world and the things of this world are trying to, to seduce us away from God because they're trying to turn us into selfishness. They're trying to turn us into consumers. And the reason they're trying to turn us into consumers, I had a dollar, but I don't have it anymore, uh, is because they want to turn us into a dollar bill. They want to turn us into something that will just consume and just, oh, let's, let's find our purpose. Let's find our fulfillment in, in the things that we have. And when we do that, then we're continually trying to grasp onto more things. If you don't believe the world is trying to sell you selfishness, watch this video. Dude, you brought one bag of Doritos. There's going to be like five other guys in there. So? So now we're going to have to share. Tom told everyone to bring their own bag. Yeah, well, I drove you here, so really, this is kind of like my bag. Hey! D doesn't have a bag. <laughs> Allergies, man. Oh! <laughs> All right. So it's, it's funny, right? It's, it's good. It's, it's good marketing. It's, it sells. But, uh, but, it, but ultimately, it's, it's trying to teach us to be selfish, to, to look at, hey, hold on to your bag of Doritos, because if you don't hold on to your bag of Doritos, somebody's going to take it, and then you're not going to have one. And so it's trying to sell us selfishness. It's trying to sell us to, to hold on to these things. But what's the result of that? I've, I've said in previous talks that um, my uncle was dying. Well, this past week, he passed away. And, you know, I didn't really know him that well. He, he married my aunt, like, like a couple years ago. So it's even weird calling him my uncle because, like I said, I didn't really know him. But I learned about this man, and I learned that he was the mayor of a city at one time. He helped organize the 1984 uh, Olympics, the Los Angeles Olympics. He was a millionaire. His son was, is the CEO of the Red Lion Hotels. And so here's this man that's reached a lot of worldly success. He's, he has power. He has money. He has all these great things. But my memory of him, when I just saw him, I remember him play, sitting alone, playing on his iPad. That was, that's my memory of him. When he died, his kids didn't really go visit him. He had his wife and his stepson by his side. 
And, and just thinking about that, of how awesome, how, how much wisdom this guy had, how much he had to share with the world, how much relationship he could have had. As a pastor, I don't want that for you guys. I want better for you guys. I wanted to point you higher to say there is better things than, uh, than the stuff that we have. God has a greater calling for you. He wants to do more in your life. And so we know, we've got to know that there are greater things because there are greater problems. I wrote a list of what I thought were some of the bigger problems in the world today. And here they are. Broken families, fatherlessness, divorce, poverty, substance abuse, incarceration, homelessness, domestic abuse, gang violence, racism, teenage pregnancy. Now, when you think about that list, all of those different things, who is impacted the most by those things? And when I think about that, I think who is impacted the most? The people that are the most impacted by the, some of the greatest problems in the world are children. They're the ones who, who didn't cause all those problems. They're also the ones who can't solve those problems, but those are the ones that are most impacted. And again, I want to tell you, I believe that the church is God's plan A to, to make a difference in this world. And, it's, and I believe the church is God's plan A to help foster children, to help orphanages. We are trying to work on a mission trip to Ecuador to go to an orphanage um, down there. We're also trying to serve, um, help pack lunches for schools. So there are things that as a ch- we as a church are trying to do to get out into our community and, and into the world and make a difference, reaching children right where they are, because we want to be a church that is a part of God's plan A. And I think part of it, like I said in the beginning, our, our hearts are tied up around things that, that ultimately stop us from being a part of some of these great things. But when I looked at, at the scripture, it said the pure and faultless religion and keeping polluted from the world. So here's these things of like, like pure and faultless on one hand and being polluted by the world on the other. And, and in the, between those two things, being, between pure and, and, and polluted, we have this middle of looking after orphans and widows in their distress. And, and I'm thinking, how can we develop that kind of heart that just can be used by God for whatever God wants to do in and through us? And I know one way is, as I read my Bible and, and I pray that God transforms my heart. When I get up in the morning and I, and I say, okay, I'm going to be a really good person today. I'm going to be a really good pastor, really good Christian today. I'm not going to say a mean word to anybody. I'm not going to yell at anybody on the road. It lasts about, you know, a couple minutes maybe, if I'm lucky. When I try to do things in my own effort, externally, I'm, I can't do it. But when Jesus begins to transform my heart because of my spending time with him, then all of a sudden, things become easier. Things become more natural to me. But here's another way that God transforms us, and this you're not going to like. I believe that when we go through trials and difficult times, when we go through the fire of life, that's what God uses to transform our hearts. That's what he uses to cut off the rough places in our hearts, to, to to break that heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. And so when, we, when things are going well, we don't want to change, but it's when things that are going difficult that all of a sudden we realize, I don't have everything I need, and I need to grow to be able to rise up to this challenge. It's th- at that place 
that we begin to see God and to seek God and to find that change. And so when we go through stress, when we go through trials, that's what God's going to use. When, there was a silversmith, and the silversmith was, was trying to make the silver pure. And a guy was asking the silversmith, how do you know when it's pure? And he said, well, I melt off all the impurities by putting it through a fire. And I know it's pure when I can see my reflection in it. You see, you know you're pure when you look at the mirror and you don't see you. You don't see all your flaws, all your mistakes. All you see is the person of Jesus Christ that is trying to work into you. That's God's ultimate purpose for you. I talk about all these ways of purpose and ways making a difference, but God's ultimate purpose for each and every one of us is to conform us to the image of Christ, that we would look more and more like him and less and less like ourselves. That's what God wants to work in you. And so God is going to use fires of life. He's going to use suffering. He didn't, uh, he didn't stop it from happening to his own son. What's to make us think that he's going stop to stop it from happening to us? God wants to work in your hearts. And I pray this morning that some of you would, would just, would, that really all of you would pray, God, what do you want to use my life for? God, I've heard this message now. Now what am I going to do with it? Maybe God has touched some of your hearts and some of you are called to foster children. Maybe God's touched some of your hearts and you're, you're called just to help a foster family or you're, call, you're called just to serve in the church. Whatever it is, I would pray that you would realize it's not an inhibition, it's an invitation that Jesus is calling to you to mold you into the person that God has created you to be all along.